Chapter Three of the Tower of London by Arthur Poyser. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three: A Walk Through the Tower, Part Two. The White Tower or Keep. This is the very heart and centre of the tower buildings and all the lesser towers and connecting walls, making the inner and outer wards and the broad moat encircling it, are but the means of protection and inviolable security of this ancient keep within its rock-like walls a threatened king could live in security here were provided the elementary necessaries of life a storehouse for food a well to supply fresh water a great fireplace in the thickness of the wall and a place of devotion all within the walls of this one tower the doorway by which we enter after passing the ridiculous ticket-box and unnecessary policeman was cut through the solid wall in henry the eighth's time at the foot of the stairs giving access the bones of the murdered princes were found in a small chest some ten feet below the ground during charles the second's reign the winding stairway within the wall leads us to the western end of the chapel of st john which is with the possible exception of the lady chapel at durham the finest norman chapel in england it has a beautiful arcading with heavy circular pillars square capitals and bases and a wide triforium over the aisles here is a perfect norman church in miniature the south aisle at one time communicated with the royal palace and the gallery with the state apartments of the keep it is only within recent years that the sanctity of the place has been again observed and now visitors behave here as in any other consecrated building but it was for many years used as a sort of store chamber and the authorities at one time proposed turning it into a military tailor's workshop that was in the mid-nineteenth century when england in general had fallen into a state of artistic zopf and the daughters of music were brought low so low too had the guardians of the nation fallen in their ideas that this beautiful building meant nothing more to them than a place a commodious place of four stone walls that was lying idle and might be put to some practical use the prince consort made timely intervention and the desecration was not persisted in it was in this chapel that the rabble in richard the second's time found archbishop sudbury at prayer at prayer too in this chapel knelt brackenbury when the messenger from king richard the third brought demands for the prince's murder here elizabeth of york queen of henry the seventh lay in state after death here queen mary after the death of her brother edward the sixth attended mass and gave thanks for the suppression of revolt and here the vacillating northumberland father-in-law of lady jane grey declared himself a roman catholic lest he should lose his life but without the effect he desired in this solemn place too those who aspired to knighthood watched their arms at the altar passing the night in vigil before the day when the king would elect them to the order this was the place of worship of our norman and plantagenet kings could any other building in the country claim like associations yet these things slipped the mind of a generation and then is the hallowed ground made desolate the large rooms entered from the chapel are the former state apartments now given over to the housing of a collection of weapons and armour which is described on the showcases and therefore need not be detailed here 
in these rooms balliol in the reign of edward i and king david of scotland in that of edward III, were kept prisoners but not in the strictest sense other notable captives here were king john of france after the battle of poitiers prince afterwards king james of scotland and charles duke of orleans all of whom have been spoken of in the previous chapter several models of the tower buildings made at various periods will be found in these rooms the larger western apartment in which are preserved the block and axe used at the last execution on tower hill in seventeen forty seven is the banqueting hall of the keep and was the scene so some maintain of the trial of anne boleyn in may fifteen thirty six raleigh in sixteen o one watched the execution of essex from one of its western windows a mounted figure of queen elizabeth dressed as on the occasion of her progress to st paul's cathedral to render thanks for the destruction of the armada has been removed from this room to a dark corner of the crypt of st john's chapel its place is taken by an illuminated showcase in which the coronation robes of the reigning sovereign are displayed models of the instruments of torture the rack thumbscrews scavenger's daughter iron neck collar and so forth are shown in this room reminding us that though torture was never legal punishment in england it was practised in tower dungeons especially in tudor times when in the wisdom of those in power occasion demanded it but the whole business is too despicable to dwell upon a continuation of the winding stairway in the southwest angle of the wall gives access to the upper floor and ancient council chamber which is the room entered first here richard the second abdicated in favour of henry the fourth frossard describing the ceremony says king richard was released from his prison and entered the hall which had been prepared for the occasion royally dressed the sceptre in his hand and the crown on his head but without supporters on either side he said after raising the crown from his head and placing it before him henry fair cousin and duke of lancaster i present and give to you this crown with which i was crowned king of england and all the rights dependent on it when all was over and henry had called in a public notary that an authentic act should be drawn up of the proceedings richard was led back to where he had come from and the duke and other lords mounted their horses to return home it was in this council chamber of the white tower also that richard the third enacted that dramatic scene on which the curtain fell with the death of hastings the lord chamberlain the lords were seated at council when richard entered the broad low room in anger and exclaimed to their astonishment what are they worthy to have that compass and imagine my destruction the lords sore amazed at this sat dumb and none dared speak lest he be accused then the irate richard bared his withered arm and called on all to look what sorcery had done his protestation had however been somewhat overacted and his lords in the chamber of council saw that he was but in a fit of spleen and hasty to pick a quarrel with any still lord hastings took courage to stand and reply if any have so heinously done they are worthy of heinous punishment what said richard starting up thou servest me ill i ween with ifs i tell thee they have so done and that i will make good on thy body traitor in great anger he strode to a table and hit it heavily with his clenched fist 
at this signal a great number of armed men who had been cunningly hid in the stone passage that lay within the thickness of the wall entered the room and blocked the doorways richard coming into the centre of the chamber and pointing to hastings exclaimed i arrest thee traitor what me my lord replied the chamberlain yea thee traitor and hastings being seized and made prisoner i will not to dinner continued his accuser till i see thy head off without time to say a word on his own behalf lord hastings in order that the repast of richard should not be unduly delayed was hurried down the narrow winding stairway in the northeast turret of the white tower and led out upon what is now the parade ground below it is told that the way to the block on tower green near by was greatly obstructed by stones and much timber then being used in rebuilding houses within the tower walls richard was watching with impatience from a window in the council chamber the progress of his victim to death and in order to avoid delay hastings was compelled by his captors to lay his head on a rough log of wood that blocked the path so was he brought to the axe ere richard satisfied and himself again went to dine the crypt of st john's chapel which with the dungeons is shown only to those who have obtained an order and are accompanied by a special warder a very dark place before the comparatively modern windows were put in was used as a prison cell and here were confined those captured in the wyatt rebellion prisoners inscriptions may still be seen on the wall on either side of the smaller dungeon erroneously termed raleigh's cell this grim chamber hollowed out of the wall of the crypt would when the door was shut and all light of day excluded have been the most unwelcome hole for any human being to linger in to assert that raleigh sat and wrote here by rushlight is drawing too heavily on our credulity even that beast wad would not have put his famous prisoner into such a place of darkness the crypt has a remarkable barrel-shaped roof the stones of which are most cunningly set together the walls are of amazing thickness as may be seen by the depth of the window recesses some few years ago a quantity of stained glass was found in this crypt some of it of sixteenth century date the remainder modern and of little value fragments of this glass have been put together with care and skill and placed in the small windows of the chapel of st john above the larger dungeons of the keep are entered beneath the stairway that leads to the parade ground from the level of the crypt we have just visited these lower places of confinement have been sadly modernized whitewashed and have all the appearance of respectable wine cellars lit by electric light in these once gloomy chambers deep down below the level of the ground stood the rack the cries of victims would not be heard beyond the massive walls this instrument of torture was an open frame of solid oak about three feet high the prisoner was laid within it on the bare ground his wrists and ankles being tied to rollers at each extremity by means of levers these rollers were moved in opposite directions and the body of the prisoner was thereby raised to the level of the frame while his body was thus suspended he was questioned and if his replies came tardily a turn or two of the rollers which threatened to pull his joints from their sockets was considered necessary to extract from the sufferer any information desired 
in this place and in this way guy fawkes was racked after gunpowder plot and between the periods of torture was confined in a small cell called little ease which was constructed so skilfully that the captive could neither lie down nor stand up with any satisfaction but was compelled to exist there in a cramped and stooping posture this miserable cell lay between the dungeon containing the rack and the great dungeon under the crypt of st john's chapel though the formidable iron-studded door of little ease with its ingenious system of locks and bolts is still to be seen the cell itself has been broken through to give entrance to the black vault beyond yet even to-day in spite of foolish improvements some idea of the power of little ease to administer suffering can be gained in this at one time circumscribed space guy fawkes spent his last weeks with no fresh air to breathe and no glimmer of light to cheer the gloomy dungeon to which little ease now gives access under st john's crypt was the foulest and blackest of all the tower cells even now it is a place of horror though an attempt has been made to enlarge the single window high up on the eastern side and admit a little more light hundreds of jews were shut up here in king john's time charged as has already been stated in the previous chapter with tampering with the coinage of the realm no light of any kind entered the place in those days the earthen floor was carefully kept damp for greater inconvenience the air was poisonous and the place was at all times infested with rats this cell rivals in horror the black hole of calcutta and in it men were to use a meredithian expression chilled in subterranean sunlessness in the basement chambers to the west of this dungeon and of the torture chamber a well has within recent years been discovered together with a secret passage leading towards the moat and the river in connection with the discovery of this passage it is stated that a grated cell had been found in which the waters of the thames flowed and receded with the tide it is possible that some poor sufferer may have been put for a time in this place of horror but we may be thankful that as no details have survived time's ravages it is not necessary for us to demand definite information on the subject there are certain corners of tower history that are better left unexplored the dungeons of the white tower might conceivably have been left in something of their original state the modernization they have undergone has robbed them of all appearance of age they have the look with the exception of the jews dungeon of store cellars constructed last week utility has done its best to kill romance tower green beneath the western wall of the white tower there is massed together and now railed in a curious collection of old guns and mortars mostly trophies won from france spain and portugal some are early examples of english cannon found in the mary rose wrecked off spithead in fifteen forty five two solemn ravens hover about these old guns day by day and perch at times with significant gravity on the side of the block near by tower green was the place of private as tower hill was the place of public execution and was reserved for culprits of royal rank 
this open space in the centre of the buildings saw prisoners led from cell to cell saw many a headless body carried on rude stretcher to burial in st peter's and was the place of revels on far-off coronation eves when the king of the morrow was feasting in the keep above or in the palace it saw also the last sad moments of three queens of england in the far corner towards the bloody tower lay the constable's garden in which raleigh walked and in which the proud princess elizabeth had paced along the paths that her favourite of later days had been sent by the prouder queen to tread farther westward and marked by a sentry-box at the door is the king's house in which lives the present major of the tower it was from this house that lord nisdale escaped on the eve of his execution in seventeen sixteen his wife who had ridden in bitter wintry weather from scotland in order to make appeal to king george on her husband's behalf found only disappointment as a result of the appeal to royal clemency but she was not to be daunted by her rebuff at court though the attempt seemed quite a hopeless one she was determined to make all effort possible to save her lord from the scaffold from her lodgings in drury lane she walked to the tower accompanied by her landlady mrs mills and a friend mrs morgan mrs morgan consented to wear a dress belonging to mrs mills above her own dress and lady nithsdale proposed to get her husband away from the tower disguised in this extra dress when she reached the king's house she was allowed to take in with her only one friend at a time and so brought in mrs morgan who had she explained come to bid lord nithsdale farewell when the custodian of the prison-room had retired lord nithsdale was hastily dressed in the spare set of female garments and mrs morgan was sent out to bring in her maid evans mrs mills came upstairs in answer to the call and held a handkerchief to her face as was natural wrote lady nithsdale when describing the events afterwards for a person going to take a last leave of a friend before execution i desired her to do this that my lord might go out in the same manner her eyebrows were inclined to be sandy and as my lord's were dark and thick i had prepared some paint to disguise him i had also got an artificial headdress of the same coloured hair as hers and rouged his face and cheeks to conceal his beard which he had not had time to shave all this provision i had before left in the tower i made mrs mills take off her own hood and put on that which i had brought for her i then took her by the hand and led her out of my lord's chamber in passing through the next room in which were several people with all the concern imaginable i said my dear mrs catherine go in all haste and send me my waiting-maid she certainly cannot reflect how late it is i am to present my petition to-night to-morrow it is too late hasten her as much as possible for i shall be on thorns till she comes when i had seen her safe out i returned to my lord and finished dressing him i had taken care that mrs mills did not go out crying as she came in that my lord might better pass for the lady who came in crying and afflicted and the more so that he had the same dress that she wore when i had almost finished dressing my lord i perceived it was growing dark and was afraid that the light of the candle might betray us so i resolved to set off i went out leading him by the hand whilst he held his handkerchief to his eyes 
i spoke to him in the most piteous and afflicted tone bewailing the negligence of my maid evans who had ruined me by her delay then i said my dear mrs betty run quickly and bring her with you i am almost distracted with this disappointment the guards opened the door and i went downstairs with him still conjuring him to make all possible dispatch as soon as he had cleared the door i made him walk before me for fear the sentinel should take notice of his walk at the bottom of the stairs i met my dear evans into whose hands i confided him lord nithsdale now safely out of the walls and on tower hill was hurried to a convenient lodging in the city lady nithsdale having sent her maid betty off returned to her lord's room and alone there pretended to converse with her husband imitating his voice so well that no suspicions were aroused she continues her narrative thus i then thought proper to make off also i opened the door and stood half at it that those in the outward chamber might hear what i said but held it so close that they could not look in i bade my lord a formal farewell for the night and added that something more than usual must have happened to make evans negligent on this important occasion who had always been so punctual in the smallest trifles that i saw no other remedy but to go in person that if the tower was then open when i had finished my business i would return that night but that he might be assured i would be with him as early in the morning as i could obtain admittance to the tower and i flattered myself i should bring more favourable news then before i shut the door i pulled through the string of the latch so that it could only be opened on the inside on her way out lady nithsdale told one of the servants that candles need not be taken into his master until he sent for them and so left the king's house crossed tower green in the dusk of the evening and was soon safely in london streets lord nithsdale eventually escaped disguised as a footman in the suite of the venetian ambassador from dover lady nithsdale bravely returned to dumfrieshire and at great risk for the king was great incensed at the trick she had played recovered valuable papers buried in a garden there then joined her husband in rome by her splendid intrepidity she had saved her lord from the scaffold on the very eve of execution had baffled the king's emissaries and altogether gave king george cause to complain that she had given him more trouble than any other woman in the whole of europe beecham tower this tower lies in the centre of the western ballium wall and is entered at the foot of a flight of steps leading down from the level of the green a narrow winding stairway which is typical of the means of ingress and egress in all the lesser towers on the wall brings us to the large prison chamber of this tower the only portion shown to the public in tudor days the beecham tower was set aside especially as the place of detention of captives of high estate in the realm it is the least gloomy of the towers it must at all times have had a good supply of light if we may judge by the delicacy of the inscriptions and carvings that those imprisoned there have left upon its walls on entering the prison-room an inscription bearing the word peveril will be seen on the wall to the left this caught the eye of sir walter scott when visiting the tower and suggested the title for the then unwritten novel the scenes of which are laid in the time of charles the second 
in that book a description is given in chapter forty of the king's visit to the fortress in the meantime the royal barge paused at the tower and accompanied by a laughing train of ladies and of courtiers the gay monarch made the echoes of the old prison towers ring with the unwonted sounds of mirth and revelry charles who often formed manly and sensible resolutions though he was too easily diverted from them by indolence or pleasure had some desire to make himself personally acquainted with the state of the military stores arms etc of which the tower was then as now the magazine the king accompanied by the dukes of buckingham ormond and one or two others walked through the well-known hall in the white tower in which is preserved the most splendid magazine of arms in the world and which though far from exhibiting its present extraordinary state of perfection was even then an arsenal worthy of the great nation to which it belonged in the same chapter the tower legend of the king's discovery of colby who had helped the king at worcester fight as a warder in the tower is told sir walter adds a footnote to the tale the affecting circumstances are i believe recorded in one of the little manuals which are put into the hands of visitors in this room of beecham tower nigel lord glenvarlock is imprisoned as narrated in the fortunes of nigel which pictures earlier days the times of james i nigel followed the lieutenant to the ancient buildings on the western side of the parade and adjoining to the chapel used in those days as a state prison but in ours this was written in eighteen twenty two as the mess-room of the officers of the guard upon duty at the fortress the double doors were unlocked the prisoner ascended a few steps followed by the lieutenant and a warder of the higher class they entered a large but irregular low-roofed and dark apartment exhibiting a very scanty proportion of furniture the lieutenant having made his reverence with the customary compliment that he trusted his lordship would not long remain under his guardianship took his leave nigel proceeded to amuse himself with the melancholy task of deciphering the names mottoes verses and hieroglyphics with which his predecessors in captivity had covered the walls of their prison-house there he saw the names of many forgotten sufferers mingled with others which will continue in remembrance until english history shall perish there were the pious effusions of the devout catholic poured forth on the eve of his sealing his profession at tyburn mingled with those of the firm protestant about to feed the fires of smithfield it was like the roll of the prophet a record of lamentation and mourning and yet not unmixed with brief interjections of resignation and sentences expressive of the firmest resolution there are ninety-one names on the walls of this room in the beecham tower and the earliest date fourteen sixty two is cut beside the name of talbot other notable inscriptions are those of the pole family number thirty three of which two members died in captivity here the dudley carving number fourteen consisting of a frame made up of a garland of roses geraniums honeysuckle and oak leaves within are a bear and lion supporting a ragged staff which is the dudley crest beneath is the name of the carver john dudley the eldest of five dudley brothers imprisoned in this chamber this john earl of warwick died here a prisoner 
the bailey inscription number seventeen dates from elizabeth's reign and was carved by charles bailey involved in plots to liberate mary queen of scots after her coming to england he has carved these words on the stone wise men ought circumspectly to see what they do to examine before they speak to prove before they take in hand to beware whose company they use and above all things to whom they trust the earl of arundel one of the devout catholics mentioned by scott died in this room after ten years imprisonment in the tower his inscription is in latin and dated june twenty second fifteen eighty seven the words may be translated the more suffering for christ in this world the more will be the glory with christ in the next thou hast crowned him with honour and glory o lord in memory everlasting he will be just another carving number twenty six of april twenty two fifteen fifty nine concludes thus there is an end of all things and the end of a thing is better than the beginning be wise and patient in trouble for wisdom defends thee as well as the money use well the time of prosperity and remember the time of misfortune this inscription bears some resemblance to another of bailey's number fifty one where he has recorded on his prison wall that the most unhappy man in the world is he that is not patient in adversities for men are not killed with the adversities they have but with the impatience which they suffer hope to the end and have patience if any were in need of patience and hope they were these poor prisoners in the beecham tower another captive t salmon in sixteen twenty two recorded that he had been kept close prisoner here eight months thirty two weeks two hundred and twenty four days five thousand three hundred and seventy six hours the husband of lady jane grey carved on these walls number eighty five the one word jane and this in its simplicity is the saddest of all the writings on the wall this tower which was restored by salvin in eighteen fifty four still retains an original edward the third window and much other ancient work its name is derived from the thomas beecham earl of warwick imprisoned towards the end of the fourteenth century during the time of the wyatt rebellion it appears to have been known as the cobham tower but that name did not adhere to it long it consists of three floors the main prison-room being on the second story and possesses a battlemented roof in this tower a secret passage has been discovered in the wall where spies could hover and overhear the talk of prisoners to the north of it and opposite the chapel stands the chaplain's house and that portion of tower green immediately adjoining was at one period a burial ground for tower parishioners chapel of st peter ad vincula the crypt of the present chapel was built in the reign of henry the third all that stands above it is of the tudor period in eighteen sixty seven it received its last careful restoration but apart from its tragic associations it is not a very inspiring bit of ecclesiastical architecture there is a peculiar stiffness about the building and an oppressive gloom in the place that makes one regard it rather as a large tomb than as a church for living men and women to worship in strangely enough one has none of this feeling when visiting the chapel of st john in the white tower which is a place that never fails to lead the thoughts to another world than this 
in st peter's one is haunted by generations of spectres who have passed from life to death by violent means and one has also the fear that macaulay is lingering in some corner and moralizing on the pathos of it all under the pavement of this church as was discovered in the eighteen seventy six restoration the victims from the scaffold of royal blood or otherwise were very hastily and carelessly interred at no great depth the bones of queen anne boleyn were identified and now lie in front of the altar with those of queen catherine howard and the dukes of northumberland and somerset mr doyne bell describing the discovery of the remains of anne boleyn says the forehead and lower jaw were small and especially well formed the vertebrae were particularly small especially one joint which was that next to the skull and they bore witness to the queen's little neck the skeletons of the aged countess of salisbury and of the duke of monmouth were also found a list of the notable people buried in this church will be seen on the west wall near the door and here too are preserved portions of the leaden coffin lids of the scots lords who were the last victims of the block on tower hill several very interesting memorial of those famous in tower annals will be noticed on the east and south walls near the chancel the elaborate tomb to the left within the altar rails is erected in memory of sir richard blount and of sir michael his son both lieutenants of the tower in their time these blounts died in the middle of the sixteenth century in the body of the church sir thomas moore and bishop fisher protector somerset and thomas cromwell stafford and sir john elliot lie buried one of the earliest monuments in the building is that lying between the organ and chancel commemorating sir richard chumley and his wife elizabeth the recumbent figures are carved in alabaster neither the knight nor his lady was buried in the church sir richard held the position of lieutenant of the tower in henry the seventh's reign lord de ross the last deputy lieutenant of the tower and author of a valuable record of its history who died in eighteen seventy four has a memorial here it was owing to his care that the tombstone covering the grave of talbot edwards so nearly killed when defending the crown jewels at the time of the colonel blood onslaught was replaced this slab had been doing duty as a paving stone on tower green the communion plate of st peter's dates from the time of the first charles and the vessels bear the royal monogram c r with crown above they have been used by many a condemned captive just before the hour appointed for death End of chapter three part two